Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> We're tonight's entertainment. Look at my butt. Oh, look at my front butt. Thanks for having me on, Steve. Oh, no problem. Before we get in the movie, we got to talk about this little movie that came out in, I think, 77 or 78 called Here Come the Tigers. You know that yep. one, don't you, Chris and Carl? I certainly know it. I do not know that one. Well, what it is, it was this little, no-name, your basic uh, Bad News Bears rip-off. But the director, one Don Coscarelli, this was his first movie. And on there, playing the drunk, a drunken old man, the standard role in most sports movies, was uh, one Rory guy. Mm-hmm. And also he had one of his friends, Reginald Bannister, in it playing another character. And that was based Don's first movie. And of course it flopped, because what three letters, how did you see Here Come the Tigers, Carl? Oh, uh, basically... Uh, uh... Shall we say HBO or to, yeah. to, to to quote a later Coscarella the Coscarelli movie? Hey, Beastmasters on. Yeah. And so he 
decided he was going to make his own movie, so he decided to make what seems like a kiddie movie, well, a kiddie movie, young adult movie with uh, gore, razor ball, and killer midgets. Would that be a good way to put it? Uh, Chris? Yeah, that works for me. And Carl? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that works really well. Uh, um, I would consider it more young adult uh, because there are there's TNA and there's various things, and, and the the violence is pretty brutal, uh, but we all know it's fake. But, yeah, yeah, I, I, I would go with that. Do you get did you get that vibe from it, uh, Chris? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, um, you know, I remember hearing that uh, that the edited version was actually supposed to be the MPA was wanted to rated X, and uh, and he had to cut some scenes out or he had to leave some scenes intact. I I can't remember which, but I remember that there was originally an X rating on Phantasm. Well, there was a lot more cursing in the scene where they had to fly in the coat and they're slamming each other across the room. (laughs) (laughs) Which is pretty much the only time you hear the F word in the whole movie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When uh, uh, Reggie gets slammed against the wall, he's just sitting there like, what the fuck was that? (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean I can remember in 1979 Seeing that poster Just damn Did you get to see this at the drive-in Right before you left, Carl? No, no I saw this in in, in a standalone theater Uh, And it was wondrous It was like one of One of the best things one of the things I wanted to talk about is 1979, okay? So we had two films that I believe are really important to the horror genre. One would be Carpenter's Halloween. Actually came out in 78, but but went basically uh, uh, nationwide in 79. And then Phantasm. And there are two completely different takes. One is controlled, very, very uh, machine-like, well done, very Hitchcock. And the other one is like, let's throw shit on the wall and see what happens. And, oh, we'll do this. That sounds like a good idea. Oh, yellow blood. That works for me. And <laughs> it was just wondrous. I, 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 he just, just seeing that movie, I said to myself, Coscarelli is somebody I gotta keep it, gotta keep my eyes on because this guy is out there. Did you guys have the same same feeling on that? Now I, I take it you guys are are younger, so maybe you didn't see it in the theater or didn't get that sort of sense that I did. I'm a little older. Oh no, than you guys. that poster scared the living crap out of me. I couldn't help looking at it over and over again, but I was like, no, this is too scary. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I I was born in '81, so unfortunately, 
I was just a, a tot for mo- for most of the '80s and for all of the '80s really. Uh, so anything that came out in the theater before, you know, '90, I'd say probably started really paying attention to movies. Uh, probably when I was about 10 or 11. Um, and so, you know, but actually going to the theater and seeing horror films didn't happen for a little while after that. So unfortunately I was not, I was not able to see it in the theater um, when it originally came out because I wasn't around yet. <laughs> but um, I mean, just going back and reading a lot of the press materials and the hype and, and the, the advertisements, uh, that surrounded the release of the movie. Just fascinating. It looks great. And that, that color palette for that poster for that one sheet is just, some of those colors are otherworldly. <laughs> I don't even know. It's very, the best way I could describe it would be like Lovecraftian. I mean, it's like some of the weird, like muted blues. And I don't know. It's just a really strange, strange color palette. And what a great poster that is. Oh, agreed. Never shown up but there the there there was the original poster that Coscarelli said he hated that was a basically a Star Wars rip off cuz they thought hey we got the little guys that look like Jawas and we can make the silver ball look like the death star <laughs> Most kind of appropriate in a way Nah, nah, he was right on that one. You know, axe that idea right away. To me, Phantasm, and and talking about the original film, the the sequels are are decent, and and you guys will talk about the sequels later. Uh, I'll need to be off, but that original film really had an effect on me. And, And I don't know... You know, as I look back at it, was it color palette? Was it this, that? I think it was just that this whole idea of the tall man. And, and, and the other thing is Angus Grimm. I mean, I fell in love with that man. That man had such a screen presence. And, and that's another thing uh, that was amazing to me. Um, what do you guys think? Yeah, and for someone who only had like three or four lines in the first film, let's see, it was a boy, the funeral is about to begin, Mm -hmm. sir, and uh, you think, you know, you play a good game, boy, yeah. Boy. I think that's about it. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah, yeah, that's about right. But the presence, and and it's the shots. The thing I remember is that shot of him walking, and there's the ice cream truck and all that fog that's coming from the ice cream truck. Just incredible shots. (coughs) The one thing that really... That iconic horizon. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. I jumped on you. No, no, no. It's okay. Uh, one of the things that I really enjoyed about this film is that it wasn't really sure what it wanted to be. And it ended up being <laughs> a, obviously horror, but it's also got elements of sci-fi. It's also got elements of, you know, the, the brother, the, like the buddy, buddy movie. Um, it's got elements of adventure in there, you know, with Mike stalking Jody through the first film, 
following him everywhere he goes. Um, you know, I, I have a younger brother. And so that, that part of it really resonates with me. And I know it was shot in California, but the, the, the shot choices really make it feel Midwestern. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm from Michigan, so that it, it just resonates with me because of that. It's just, it, it could happen in your town and it looks like my town. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And it's very dreamlike. The whole film. Well, that's exactly it. What hit me with the film was the dream logic. That, that the logical pattern of what a horror movie is. Oh, you have a killer. Uh, uh, you know, he's, uh, a monster, you know, he can't be killed. That's a, that was thrown out the window. And then it was just this real weird dream logic that just took you to a different place. And that's what really resonated with me more than anything else. And that's what makes it different for me. And it also had great dialogue. Like you never expected, even in a horror film or a kiddie film... Back then, lines like, warning shots are bullshit. You point a gun at a man, you should point a gun to kill, not to warn. <laughs> yeah. Which makes absolute sense. Yeah. When, when well, I my met, favorite I line met, in a home movie, it was a little brown thing chasing me. Oh, it was probably a horny woodchuck, or was it a bad <laughs> So... <laughs> So yeah, it was, it was probably just a gopher in heat. Yeah, <laughs> gopher in heat. <laughs> so uh, when I met when I met a Michael Baldwin, I had the opportunity to meet um, the whole cast actually in 2014, and uh, <laughs> he signed my original one sheet with it wasn't any gopher, <laughs> and I thought that was just awesome. <laughs> I couldn't get over that. Yeah, yeah, it's that, great stuff. Yeah, that was uh, another great thing about it is that none of the actors in it besides, uh, well, not even uh, Angus had really had that many roles. No. They were all friends. They all decided to do this on a lark. In many ways, it sort of echoes what... what uh, uh, Romero did with Night of the Living Dead. You know, oh, we're 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 gonna make a movie, okay? Let's let's pull our resources and do it, and let's just have fun. And that's what what really comes across here for me. And of yeah, course, only, only one thing. Go ahead. Oh, only Don could have made this movie, and I say that with the. <laughs> In the best possible way. I mean, he is an indie filmmaker, filmmaker. You know, he's a... Uh, you look at something like John Dies at the End. Only only Coscarelli could have pulled that off. And I feel the same way about Phantasm. You know, and people start talking about remaking it. I just don't think you would ever be able to recapture that kind of... Uh, that kind of attitude that he has in that in that first movie. And, you know, movies are of their of their period, too, so... You know, he had a certain set of experiences in, in 78 and 79 when he was making it. And I'm sure that shaped it. Yeah, like uh, Reggie is definitely the old, burnt, 
old burnout hippie like Carl was in his mid thirties and stuff. <laughs> Thanks a lot for that. I'm still not burnt no, out yet, just, but I'm, I'm a hippie. Not a burn, I'm not saying that as a burnout. Just one of those like. Just one of those going around on his ice cream chuck playing guitar, and he's like, "You mean life could get better than this?" Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I, lo- I love Reggie. I love Reggie. Uh, you know something else we need to talk about is that song. Oh yeah, sitting here at midnight. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's a cool tune. And um, when I was at that event, when I met the cast, uh, Bill Thornberry actually played a part of that live, and it was really, really cool. Yeah, and they, that must basically, he, uh... they basically thought that up on on set, didn't they? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yes and no. Uh, he had he was, a uh, little bit longer version that he was working on. Okay. But they just decided to uh, throw what they he had left, and Don said, okay, make it shorter. And so him and Reggie's like, how can we do that shorter? And they're like, oh, I know. We'll just say, ugh, and then play the end part of it. <laughs> yeah. Again, hot, again. You know? Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. Uh <laughs> I was just just saying, we're hot as love, you know. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Part. Reggie's the man. Yeah, it's all and about using the time and and making it work, you know. And that's what independent filmmakers do. Coscarelli does it. One of my favorites is Larry Cohen, who just passed away. Oh know? yeah. And, yep. and, and they they just use what they have and they do it in a real you know imaginative way, and you get something that you can get from nobody else, and that's extremely true of Coscarelli. Yeah, and this is really the start of Afco Embassy's hot streak. Oh yeah. And you guys, Chris might know if you know tell. How long was Don Coscarelli's original cut of Phantasm? I know that he made a lot of cuts to it. I think the the version that's out that was released, I believe, is an hour and twenty eight minutes. I want to say that yeah, his original that, version was was over two hours. Yeah, I two think. hours and thirty eight minutes. <laughs> yeah. I knew it was. I knew it was significantly longer than what, what was actually released. Yeah. And in many ways, I think that the cuts actually improve it to a certain degree because it improves that dream logic. So so how much of the movie, and this has been a kind of uh, a hot topic with some of my friends who also enjoy this film, how much of that first movie is actually a dream? Who knows? Can't yeah, tell. That's, you don't know. Yeah, so but, my 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 take on it, and this is my personal thing, is that when Mike wakes up and he's got the tall man standing at the head of the bed and the the corpse is 
bounce out of either side and grab him. That's the beginning of the dream state. Yeah. And the rest of the rest of the movie from that point is just a dream. Until and what most people really don't realize or think about is that uh, Reggie and the boy are pretty much the only two. Well, they're living. His older brother is the one that uh, Donna basically said this, but they were in a car crash, uh, Mike and his brother, and his older brother died. And basically the tall man is death. And that's why you had some of the, in two or three and stuff, some of the weird random shots of him lying in the hospital bed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna get there when we start hitting the sequels. Yeah. But a lot of the stuff even from like from Oblivion, you know, a lot of those a lot of the cut material from Phantasm from the original Phantasm it shows up in, you know, cutscenes and it makes its way back into the back into the Pantheon. So it's Oblivion I thought was a pretty decent wrap up to the series and I know fans always want more. Um but Frankly, I could have I could have done without Ravager. <laughs> Even though I I love I love Phantasm dearly, I just I don't know, man. <laughs> I just, well, no one likes Ravager, but those last five minutes are beyond perfect. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. And you know what? I I actually kind of like Ravager. It's not great, but but man, those last five minutes. If you're not yeah. crying at the end of that, something is wrong with you. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, it was, you know, I think for me, the biggest thing with that movie was they should have gone practical effects. Using the CGI, you know, Don's such a, such a you know, DIY kind of guy. To have it done with CGI, it just felt, I felt cheated. Yeah, I mean... And what most people don't know is that the guy who played the tall man, Angus Grimm, was already an, a, a Grammy Award winner before. Oh, I was going to get to this. Started. I was going to get to this. I am the music guy here. Yeah, go but ahead. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Finish it up, Steve. Wasn't it the White Album he uh, won for writing the liner notes? No, it was it wasn't the White Album. He actually won for a classical album, and he was specifically a classical person. Now he also did a couple Rolling Stones ones, um, uh, early ones. I think Let It Bleed, actually. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah, he he won a Grammy for liner notes, and that's how I know him. And and if you look. At his real name, which is not Angus Grimm, can't remember what his real name is right now. Rory. Um, there we go. Thank you, Stephen. Uh, if you look for his real name, and 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 that, don't give give a listing of of all the albums that he he wrote for, primarily for for uh, classical though. He did a lot with Deutsche Gra- Grammophon. 
And the reason there really isn't much of a market for that in the Phantasm community as a collectible is that outside of the Grammy winners, and even then, you never did get to see who wrote the damn liner notes. That's one of the thankless jobs of music, isn't it, Carl? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Uh, And these days you don't see liner notes, of course. Uh, uh, and, and of course now with streaming, <laughs> that's not happening. You know, you need physical uh, thing. But you know, with albums, it was the size. You know, an eight and a half by eleven, or or you know, it was I think ten by twelve actually. Uh, album cover. You know, you had the space for it in small type. Even with CDs, you'd have to fold up lyric sheet with some notes maybe. Uh, but these days, you're not going to find that. Yeah. If anything, you find something written on the uh, releasing company's uh, website or something like that, maybe. Yeah. yeah it, it really is a lost art. Yeah, what yep. most people don't know is that it was not originally supposed to... It, it, well, on VHS, if you can find an older one, pre-MGM... Formerly the Embassy Home Video. Avco Embassy at the first of the film to try to help explain the movie a little bit, which Don hated this, and that's why it's gone, is that, you know, the opening uh, 30 seconds or more that's just blank space with the music? Yep. Mm-hmm. Originally, that had the dictionary definition of what a phantasm is. And, and I actually have seen that cut. Yeah. I have too. seen that cut. And you haven't seen that cut, have you, Chris? No, I've never seen that one. Well, what it is is uh, the first de- definition is a ghost, an entity. And the second one is a nightmare. Mm-hmm. And, I think, and yeah, it I really think does don't. tell a little too much if you catch on to it. Yeah, I think they they brought that back when they did Phantasm Two, when they did a trailer for it. It was like, uh, how did it go? It was a, the delusion of a disordered mind, an illusion, a ghost, or something like that. Yeah. And yeah. I remember seeing it, so I think they they dropped that back in when they were doing the trailer for uh, for Phantasm Two, I believe. But I didn't know that that the original cut had that actually in there. But yeah, the first one is a great, great movie. I think it's funny that uh, you could tell they're amateur actors because of how. Uh, the older brother no sells the shotgun when he's shooting it. Yeah, but you know what? That's part of the charm of the movie. Is that that as you watch it, you think they're real people caught in a nightmare. Yeah. And, and and again, I, I'm gonna hit the road here real soon, but I just don't I I don't wanna overstate it, but it's this whole, you know, it's like this whole movie is all happenstance 
that just happened to come together to make this film that's so unique. And that's the beauty of Phantasm. And 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 I think that that reverberates in all of his films. I mean, we haven't talked about Bubba Hotep, but man, that movie. How did that come about? And 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 that sort of thing. But you look at all his films, and they're so unique. Uh, and uh, but this movie, by far, is something that hit me in the solar plexus when I first saw it. And I must have been well. I was I was 21 at the time. So so yeah, this, this one really hit me, and I think it's one of the most original horror films, sci-fi films, whatever you want to call it, I've ever seen, and 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 it'll have a place in my heart and a place in film history for as long as you guys live, and even longer. So Coscarelli has done his job. He's done something really unique. So, guys, I'm going to hit off, all right? But uh, thanks for having me, Stephen, and and really nice to meet you, by the way. Yeah, nice to meet you as well. Okay. All right, guys, have a good rest of the show, all right? I'll I'll talk to you guys later. Okay. 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 Bye. And, Chris, and only in a kid's nightmare would you have fingers and blood that turns out yellow. Right, exactly. Yeah, so yellow I blood. Under, I was always under the impression that that was embalming fluid. It's never. That's one of the few things that's never really explained. You know. Right. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> yeah, it's just kind of there, and it, it looks like mustard. <laughs> yeah, it's like everything's like stone against like shit stone against the wall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I or mean, those know, set fingers would turn into a giant killer fruit fly or whatever that thing is. Yeah, well, that that just that's one of those things. Like like I said before, that only Coscarelli could get away with that and have it work. <laughs> you know? Like uh like Carl was saying, you only he could have made Bubble Hotep, only he could have made John Dies at the end, only he could have made Phantasm. And it just when I try to explain this film to somebody who's never seen it before, I have a really hard time explaining what it's what it's all about. I say you just kind of have to go in blind and just experience. Yeah, just go it. with it. Yeah, I said that it's really hard for me to explain. There's a lot of elements from other genres. It's not. I function obviously very well as a horror film. However, there's so many elements of other kinds of genres and other things in there that it's hard to really pin it down and, you know, say it's this, it's a hundred percent this or a hundred percent that it's, it's just a, a weird mishmash of lots of stuff. Well, that really comes from like an hour missing too. like, uh, originally cold was supposed to be the tall man's uh, weakness. Right, right. Yeah, and I remember... Even though he the, cut uh, that part out, he still left the scene in because it looks so damn cool as an intro to the tall man of him in front of Reggie's ice cream truck. Yep, yep. And I, I, there's a, I have the MGM DVD with all the, the deleted scenes. And I remember the, there's the, the scene in there where Mike sprays him with the fire extinguisher and he explodes. 
Yeah. And that really goes back into its uh, kid-tween logic, like in a nightmare. Like, only in a kid's nightmare would you see, like, two bars sitting here and think, ooh, tuning fork, I'm going to put my hands on them and stop them. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, yeah, I would have obviously went with that. <laughs> but, yeah, really, the one that really turned out to be the star of the series is pretty much the only one that Coscarelli could get full-time because he was a professional musician. That would be uh, Reggie, who really became the heart and soul and the focus of the movies as we go along. Well, yeah, and if you look at if you look at Ravager as, you know, in hindsight, and you, you retrofit the rest of the movies in, it turns out the entire series was always about Reggie. Um, yeah. So, yeah. It's it's very interesting because, you know, you get introduced in the original to Reggie as this ancillary character, and you, you think it's, oh, well, it's all about Mike. Well, it's, I guess it's a really, really good move by Coscarelli, and I don't know if he just kind of did this as, you know, along the way, or maybe he had this plan the entire time, but <clears throat> making Probably making not. Yeah, probably not. I'm, I'm sure it evolved, and he kind of said, "Oh, cool, I can do this now." Um, but he's—I mean, he's—he's he's brilliant, though. I mean, he can—he's one of those guys that can think on his feet, and it's just fantastic. Like I—I I even really liked his Masters of Horror episode, the incident on an off a mountain road. Yeah. That also gets good. That's really good, too. Oh yeah, anything that he did. Anything that he did uh, during that period, he did uh, Masters of Horror, Donk, uh, that's how he met Joe Lansdale, and he optioned two stories, which was inc- which was uh, Incident on Alpha Mountain Road and Bubba Hotep. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, Phantasm was a big hit, and it hit right at the perfect time, too, because you had Boom... He got the the indoor drive-in market. He got he made he made a decent amount selling it to HBO. Uh, then VHS. And I think the oh, laser, laser disc, right? The laser disc market yeah. too. So the fans were chomping at the bit for a sequel, but Avco Embassy. Until it really went under, was really fighting him for who owned the film or not. But then Avoco Embassy, if you look at their titles in the early 80s, you'd be surprised that they actually went out of business. They had, let's see, they did all of uh, Carpenter stuff from the early 80s, which was The Fog, Escape from New York. The thing. No, the thing was or universal. Yeah, the thing was universal. That's right. That's right. Now, did they do? Did they do Christine? Or that was also universal. 
That was Columbia. Columbia. Okay. But yeah. Alco Embassy was a pretty big company and then their assets got sold when they uh spent too much, which is the same story, spent too much, not enough coming in, and the rights reverted back to Don. So he's like, Oh, let's make a sequel now 'cause well, we got to talk about the film that the only other film that Don made, one of the rare films, he's only made three non phantasm films. <laughs> and we've, t- let's see, four. And we've talked through three of them already. And one we haven't is Beastmaster. Yep. And that one's a pretty weird movie. But you know what? That movie also works. Like I, I enjoy that when I saw it when I was younger. I probably was in my early teens, or maybe not, not even a teenager yet. Don but said the hard thing about making Beastmaster was trying to get Tanya Roberts to wear underwear. <laughs> But women back then don't wear underwear. I don't give a damn. I don't give a fuck if the women back then did wear underwear. I'm trying to make a PG-rated movie. <laughs> right. Exactly. And uh, and Don made bizarre choices in it that only Don would make, like Rip Torn as the main bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and we just yeah. lost him a short time ago. That's unfortunately. But yeah, and then he got messed, tangled up with Universal. And this is why Phantasm 2 has always been a motherfucker to see. Because that's I, the only Phantasm film that Don Coscarelli doesn't own the rights to. That's crazy. I mean, I knew that there was issues getting it distributed. I had it on VHS for a long time, and I just remember it being a real uh, ordeal. Hearing like, "Oh, well, they may, they may end up get, getting the rights." to release Phantasm 2 on DVD and then it would fall through and then oh then you'd hear more things in the pipe and then oh it would fall through <clears throat> and then I remember finally finally they got a DVD out and it was like bare bones in fact and it looked I have like it here. Yeah. yeah I have it I have it here with me it just <laughs> it's awful I mean it's just yeah, bare bones it it was on a dump set. I forget what else was with it. I think it was dumped with uh, the blob as a double feature. I may be wrong. It's a strange fairy. But yeah, the problem, and even though Phantasms 2 starts out maybe five seconds after the end of the first film. It's almost a complete remake. Yeah. Yep. 
but you know what? For for a little while there, Phantasm Two was actually my favorite, my favorite of the series. For for a little while, when I was probably in my late late teens, early twenties, it was my favorite for for a while. You know, you have the the scene where they they're suiting up in the market and they're building their weapons. They make their own flamethrower, and Reggie makes his four barrel shotgun, and it just has a really like. I think it is kind of like a kind of like a Coscarelli tribute because he, he's such a you do a do it yourself kind of guy, and they throw that in there and it's like oh, these guys know how to make all these weapons. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, you know, uh, and after, only in a Phantasm film would they have the scene where the good guys break into the store and make the weapons and all that, like you see in all the Rambo movies. Right. But then they open the cash register and just throw a giant <laughs> wad of bills down there and just shut it. <laughs> yep. That was universal. Like, we can't have them be thieves. They're supposed to be the good guys. Yeah, and and then, you know, there's also the there's also the uh, the, the little part about Mike not being uh, a Michael Baldwin and being uh, James LeGros instead. Yeah, what happened was that Universal wanted someone who could act. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And Don wanted Michael Baldwin. Do you know who almost got that role? Fantastic. Remind me. Brad Pitt. (laughs) Wow, that would have been different. Yeah. Well, the whole movie is different. Uh, James LeGros does a good job, but he's so out of place there. You got Reggie being Reggie. That's one thing we really didn't see. The Reggie that you see in the Phantasm films, that's Reggie. Right. Yep. Yeah, I've met him. I've met him a couple times in person, and yep, he's the exact same guy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and this and is kind of weird because the way it starts out is like a bizarre mini sequel. It's like uh, Reggie saves him from the little. Midget dudes. Yep. But then all of a sudden, Michael's in a nut house for ten years, and Reggie said nothing happened. Right. And then Mike gets out of the the crazy house, and then boom, Reggie's house gets blown up for no other reason than, oh God, he said he's got a family. Don was good for that in the Phantasm films. If he wanted something gone, he got rid of it real quick. <laughs> yeah. True. <laughs> and this is where, mistakenly, they started the idea of Reggie never gets laid. Yeah. Yeah. It's like... uh well, and why do they want to pick on the bald guys? Come on, man. 
Yeah. Well, you got to think, if you watch it, Reggie was married with kids in the second one. And the two girls that come out of nowhere are Reggie and the older brother's boyfriend, girlfriends. Yeah, um, Al- Alchemy and uh, and Liz. Yeah. And Phantasm 2 is like, they really start playing up that whole psychic or like tele, uh, tele, uh, tele, telepathy angle where... Oh, yeah, the blonde hair, <laughs> blue-eyed 80s girl. Right. I've always dreamed right. about you, Mike. Right. But then that's another thing you always seen in, uh, you know, you could see from a little kid's dream. That is true. The second one, would you agree with me that the second one is the most action-oriented of all of the sequels? Yep, I I agree with that. And they had the Super Bowl and Super, the Super, this is when he started to get a little bit crazy with the Spears. Yeah, so I remember the first time I saw Phantasm 2, and, you know, you're used to seeing the Silver Sentinel spheres. And then in this one, they're updated with new hardware, and the first one that you see takes off the guy's ear, and then, you know, and then it does its brain drilling thing like it would normally do. But then you see other ones, like you have one that's got, like, a laser beam in it, and then you have the gold sphere, which evidently burrows into <laughs> burrows into people and comes out their face. So Yeah. Yeah, I mean the 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 concept that there were different different grades of sphere was kinda neat. Yeah, that the the face thing was because they uh didn't have any money and then Universal seen it and they're like, Hey, that super sphere's cool. Are you gonna do anything else with it? No, we didn't have enough money to do what we wanted in the first. Well, here's some money. Up, uh, upgrade the effects on that super spear. And he's like, but we've already filmed the scene with it coming out of his face. Oh, don't worry. Just film it with it going in his back and throwing him across the room. <laughs> yeah, that, that remains, though. I think that remains my favorite phantasm kill. So that that one's pretty neat. Yeah, and there's so much missing. Like the older brother isn't in Phantasm Two. Uh, we forgot to mention her, but the lady in Lavender. But that's oh, a yeah. plot line that gets dropped until late in the series. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if it was because Cat Luster just didn't want to return or. She got out of acting, or, or what happened with her? But um, yeah, she didn't come back until until Ravager, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, yeah. How are you going to make a film when the Universal's decree was? We want you to make this exactly the same, but different. Yeah. 
So, I mean, it, it goes it goes to the theory that, you know, the series is all about Reggie because in his head, maybe the he can um, reconcile Mike looking different because he hasn't seen him in so long. And so in his head, Mike looks like James LeGro now instead of instead yeah. of Michael Baldwin. Um, but the idea that Reggie is the one character, one character that's in every single one, as, as well as Angus Grimm, you know, the, the the series is really about those two. Yeah, when Reggie really took over the series was a scene in the basement when he pulled out his chainsaw, and he's like, "Come on, you mother!" And then you had the bad guy pull out this ginormous. <laughs> You're right. Yep. <laughs> that was the re- t- moment when you really fell in love with Reggie. He's like, "That's me. That's the kind of bullshit I would run into." Yep. Where he's, or when he tries to run run up the stairs and the guy grabs his ankle and pulls him back down. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I mean, Reddy's a decent actor. It's amazing that he didn't get many roles, but I don't think he wanted to. I think he said that he was happy smoking weed and writing his little songs in his cabin in the woods and then poking his head out of the woods whenever Don gave him a phone call. And, hey, you know, that's his prerogative. You know, he's he's beloved by the Phantasm fans. You know, he's... um super, super friendly guy, uh, goes out of his way to, you know, meet and, and do things for people. And he's, he's great. I mean, he's been nothing but super cordial every time I've ever met him. And I've, I've met him, I believe three times. And I gotta feel sorry for James LaGrosse because I think they've apologized to him, Don and Reggie, but all through the film, they saw him as the enemy. Yeah. Well, he was well. He was for, he was kind of forced on them, wasn't he? I mean, Universal picked him basically. Yeah, they picked him. Yeah. They're so like, really no hey, he's anything. handsome. He's a real actor. Use this guy. You know what's funny is <laughs> when I, I was watching the movie Zodiac and uh, David Fincher's Zodiac, and at the very end. James LeGros comes in, and he's uh, he's the guy from I think the FBI or something, and I'm like, it's fake Mike. <laughs> my, my, my wife had no idea what I was talking about. I'm like, that's Mike from Phantasm too. I said, there's a whole big thing about why a Michael Baldwin didn't come back and was Mike, you know, and I said it was a studio thing and they were feeding with Coscarelli, and yeah, so anyways, that was just a, kind of a funny aside. He said, oh, look, it's fake Mike. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, the, everything that the studio wanted, they didn't like. Like, uh, the whole thing where it's like they're going from town to town and he's already destroyed everything. Don didn't like it. He said that it was always stupid to him. A whole town vanishes. And nobody gives a shit. Right, right. 
And this really brings and the end of Phantasm. And this is he has the most lines ever in Phantasm, but he has the least amount of screen time. <laughs> the tall man. I think he's in the movie. Not even five minutes. Yeah, he. Not really. I mean, you don't really see a whole lot. He's at the very end. You're talking about Phantasm too now. Yeah, Phantasm um, too. Where they they invested all the money in the effects at the end, where they melt him down with the hydrochloric acid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is oh, that's a pretty epic. That's a pretty epic meltdown. That that whole scene, I think, is pretty well done. And I I believe that's was that KNB that did that. I think so. Yeah, that was no, that was uh, Kurtzman and Nicotero. But oh, okay. A and B didn't come into existence till after Day of the Dead. Okay, okay. I think this is where they started working each other. I think Robert Kurtzman was the head of it, and uh, Berger was his um, one of his uh, second in command, like model guy. Okay, okay. Yeah, cause I know Carroll, they did. Uh, Nick Carroll was uh, Savini's backup during those days. Okay, okay, yeah, because I remember that uh, they definitely K and B definitely worked on Tales from the Dark Side, the movie. So yeah. it would has to be before that, or slightly before that, or like right around that time. Yeah, because so. Tales from the Dark Side, the movie was ninety. Right. Right. And I think Phantasm that was Two was like eighty-eight, 88 when eighty-eight, mm-hmm. eighty-nine, when Universal fucked up three movies in a row. The release dates. And that would be that is- one monkey shines dumping it in the middle of uh, summer and advertising it as a horror film, where if you watch. Monkey Shines, it's not a horror film. Yeah. Yeah, that I remember I remember wanting to see that movie because it was marketed as a horror film. And uh <laughs> then I saw it and I was sort I was gravely disappointed. <laughs> I said it you know, it wasn't a bad movie, but it was definitely not a horror film. And then you would have at the end of the July that year Phantasm 2, which flopped at the box office because none of the fans knew it was out because Universal didn't spend any money advertising it. Which is crazy to me because, I mean, okay, yeah, sure, you're you're 10 years removed from the original, but still. I mean, you're building on an existing franchise. I mean, it would be like it would be like I'm not advertising another Friday the 13th film. Yeah, I mean, and it had one of the stupidest taglines ever, the balls are back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when, you know, people who actually like, you know, are invested in the storyline know that the the balls are just, I mean, they're one aspect of a much bigger story. And, 
you know, you know, it, they're looking for a, they're looking for a tagline. They're looking for something that's going to get people in the, in the doors, you know. I think the, it was the balls is back, and then they use the last line. Of, and if you watch the trailer to Phantasm 2, don't if you haven't seen Phantasm 2 before, because they used the final fucking scene in the trailer. <laughs> that's, like a, that's, a, that's like basic filmmaking 101. Don't... Don't give away your ending. What, what the hell? Yeah, Don was very pissed about that. He's like, what the fuck? That's the entire ending there. They're like, don't worry. They won't know until they've seen it. Hmm. And plus, the girl... Plus, you could tell that nobody on the set liked James Gross. Even the girl that's supposedly his girlfriend, they have no chemistry. Yeah, that was uh, very, it feels forced. And I think Don had... Angus walk out after he gets killed as a tall man from that freezer just as a fuck you to Universal. And good for him. That's that's also a very that's a very Don Coscarelli thing to do. Yeah, there's not many Don Coscarelli moments in the movie, but the ones that are there are really the ones that we love the most. Like uh, them throwing the wad of cash in the cash register. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Reggie picking up a girl that he meets out of nowhere after he'd (laughs) seen her in a funeral home, her body all cut up. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it flopped. And the third one, which I love Phantasm 2, but this is the one that was the best of them. It got great reviews. And how they fucked this one up, I'll never know. And that would be the remake of The Blob. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Yeah, the... So oh, the one with um, the one with uh, Kevin Dillon. Yeah. Yeah, that is a good. That's a good film. I really that was a really really well done. And Don Coscarelli tried to get them to release Phantasm, like release it in October. Why? It's going to be one of our Southern Tempo films. No, release it in October. It's a horror movie. Yeah. When it was released that October on VHS, it did great. Yeah. That's how he got the next one, Phantasm 3, made. (laughs) Phantasm 3 is is an interesting, uh, interesting character. So it bridges the gap between... Uni- uh, the universal phantasm it 
would lay the groundwork for what I feel in oblivion is really, really filled with a lot of expository. Um, it's a lot of story and not so much action. And I think a lot of people did not warm up to that, but Phantasm three is the last phantasm that was really, um, ball balls to the wall action. Yeah, this is the one that basically, he basically kills every character that lived in two that didn't, wasn't part of the original mythology. Well, in the first five minutes, even though he says he does regret killing the girl. Yeah. But, I mean, it's, I, I get, I get why he did it. That yeah. way he he gets to, he gets to reboot you know he gets to start with the characters that he used all the original people are back uh, and then you know you had uh, <clears throat> you had uh, Gloria Lynn Henry in there the Rocky and then uh, and then there's another there's another girl there too I think right yeah and the obligatory. Uh romantic interest that vanishes pretty damn quick. Yeah, yeah. And you had the feral kid. Oh, yeah, yep. Timmy, I think, right? Yeah, Timmy is his name. Yeah. yeah. And you had A. Michael Baldwin come back with with one of the best opening lines ever between him and Reggie. Hey, you're back! I never went yeah. anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've never heard many people talk about three fun. They just, it just, those that their first Phantasm film was the first one, they loved the third one. They're like, yes, finally, it's back. Yeah, and it's those more... who their first film was the second one, they fucking hate the third one. Yeah. And, you know, for me, uh, for a long time, my least favorite was part three. But now I've kind of come to acknowledge it as more of a more of a sequel to the first one than two. Two is, uh, like you said, you alluded to it being kind of a more just a big budget remake. But, I mean, obviously they tried to continue the story and it didn't do so hot. And then, you know, Don just killed everybody off and, you know, rebooted you know, with the, the people from the original. So, um, for me, three is a three is a strange critter. It's uh, it's got a lot of comedy in it, which isn't unheard of for the Phantasm series. But I think it's a little more, um, a little more slapstick than than you know the comedy in in part one. Phantasm one, the comedy is kind of. Uh, that's the word I'm looking for. They don't mean for it to happen. It just is. It, it is funny, you know. Yeah, some of and the it fit with the whole right. kitty movie vibe of the first one. Like when yeah. he bangs him on the foot, and they have that big clunk on the <laughs> <laughs> oh, my fucking foot, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So like the the weird sound effects like that, and then uh, yeah. So but. 
part three was like with those three robbers. Um, you know, it's just it's a little it's a little slapstick for me, and I think that maybe yeah, powered it's him trying to well. find his feeding again. Right, and you know the only reason that he got to make three, <laughs> and this is right before he got the rights back, was that. Universal made a crap load of money off of the VHS tapes of Phantasm 2. It was a home video hit. And it was about that time where they were, every studio were trying to create their own direct-to-video franchises. Yeah, wasn't uh, wasn't Trancers, the, the, the film series Trancers, wasn't that? Yeah, uh, that, that was, was a Richard, that was Charles Band. Right, right, okay. But yeah, every one of the trancers but one, a uh, puppet master. Well, hell, mm-hmm. Full Moon was like the role model. Yeah. But yeah, people, it got better reviews than the second one did. And it wasn't that bad. It was a bit confusing if you hadn't seen the first one, which for most fans of the second one, they didn't go back and see the first one. (laughs) Right. I think Don said it the best. He said, three got me all the old films back, but it lost me all the new film fans back. Because if you look, that's a weird economy. Those that like the first one and it's their favorite, they like three. Those that like the second one and think it's their favorite don't like three. Yeah, three three was uh, was you know trying to get back to basics. I think it was trying to get back to the. Get back to the, the original feeling of the Phantasm One, and then also try to continue it. And again, it's very it's very Reggie centric, and which makes sense if we proceed with the idea that the series is entirely about Reggie all the way along. Yeah, and it, and it has another one of his most. Don loves his badass female characters. That's why we didn't get to see her killed, because Don was planning on bringing her back. Oh, you're talking about Rocky. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, it's funny. This is kind of just an aside, but um, I have a Phantasm Three Lord of the Dead original one sheet, and I have it signed by everybody except for Gloria Lynn Henry. And she's from Detroit, as far as I remember. So she lives, I, I would imagine, probably in the area. I'm, I'm in southeastern Michigan, so, like, I'm about 20 minutes outside of Detroit. I shouldn't have any problem finding her, <laughs> you know. Um, I just don't know if she ever does any kind of, if she ever did anything beyond Phantasm. No, I or don't if she, she, 
she hasn't done that many conventions. No, yeah, and I mean, it would be really cool to see, you know, to see her and meet her, and she's she's kind of an iconic character in this series. So the only convention I can really remember her doing was Chiller, and that's probably because, well, it's close to her. Yeah, I mean, like we have we have one here a convention that comes through in April and November, definitely in April. It's called Motor City Nightmares. That, like I said, I don't know if she lives in the area, but I think it would be really really cool for her to come to Motor City Nightmares. Although, you know, I'm not sure how much how many how many other genre films she's done other than Phantasm Three. Only films I can remember her from is uh, Phantasm Three and uh, Ravager. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, but again, in this series, she's an iconic character. I mean, I just don't know if it would be worth her time to, you know, come to a convention just for you know one movie in the Phantasm series. Although for the Phantasm fans who would like to see her, you know, obviously they would be. Over the or, or over the over the moon to see her, you know. Yeah. Well, that's why James LaGrosse doesn't do many cons because the couple of times that he went out, he said like the Phantasm films weirded him out. Fans. <laughs> I mean, for better or worse, he he is Mike in part two. Um, as a fan of the entire series, I would like to meet him you know, just to, for completion's sake. And, you know, he, it wasn't his choice. And it wasn't Don's choice. It was Universal's choice. So you really can't fault James for that. And you really can't fault Don for it. I mean, it's really the studio meddling and, you know, playing around with something that they shouldn't have. Yeah. And this is the first film to really get into add another part to the big story which was uh, well we see uh, Mike in the hospital in a coma during the first of the third one right which goes into the bigger story which was he uh, was uh, in that accident with his brother too and uh Is in been in coma in the hospital after Reggie found him on the side of the road. Yep. And it brings back uh, the older brother too, even though in one of the most bizarre cameos ever. Yeah. That the that's the the cameo where he turns into the ball, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the tall man fries the ball. Yeah. Yeah. And then all you hear is uh, his voice and Peanut speak for the rest of the movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's one thing about Don. You, he didn't. He the money is great, but. He just loved having enough money to be free enough to do whatever wacky, insane idea he wanted to do. 
and that you know that makes him a great indie filmmaker. You know, I I think he's he has bigger bigger budget, slightly bigger budget, but he stays true to his roots, you know, and true to what he wants to do and his vision, which is cool. And I think that's really admirable because you you got a lot of people that sell out, you know, or um, are willing to compromise their vision, you know, for you know the sake of getting more money or you know a different kind of I don't know. They're willing to concede their point of view, and he's not one of those people. So it's it's refreshing to see that. And while he may not be a, a you know multimillionaire like uh, like a James Cameron or something, he's I mean he's beloved in the horror genre, you know, among horror fans because of that. He's uh, he's really an original kind of a guy. Yeah, and. Uh... Phantasm 3 might be the most overtly violent of the three films. Yeah, it's it's pretty uh, it's pretty mean spirited, I guess. <laughs> it's got yeah, a lot of uh, it shows midgets uh, eating the blonde girl from the second one's head off. Yeah. Yep. Within the first two minutes. Uh, yeah. That poor little kid gets it gets it pretty bad at the end. Yeah. 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 The tall man has a worm coming out of his head for no reason. Right. And then that ending with Reggie pinned against the door with like a million spears. Yeah, I remember seeing that and thinking, oh, shit. <laughs> what? How are they going to get out of this one? You know, and uh, they well, really then you don't. Get oblivion. <laughs> right, right. Because there's another film we got to talk about here right now that came out, and that was Pulp Fiction. Yes. Yep. And that would be Quentin Tarantino and Roger Avery who. Uh, both really wrote the script on it, but Tarantino got him to change it where he could say, oh, you only wrote the stories only. And that feud got so bitter that when uh, 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 Tarantino won for best script at the Independent Spirit Awards, When Tarantino mm-hmm. started to walk towards the booth to get his award, Roger Avery's wife yelled at him, Fuck you, you fucking thief! Wow. That's, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's why they haven't worked together since then. He threw him a bone with uh, the, the killing Zoe, but basically, you know... That's why Roger Avery went off and made Mr. Stitch and uh, wrote a movie, a little movie that never did get made, and Tarantino became what he is. Yeah, it's And can you imagine Don Coscarelli's uh, mind? Someone who had just won an Academy Award for Best Script, came to him with a big budget 
wrap-up of the Phantasm series, Phantasm's End. I remember hearing about this and being super excited, and then we ended up getting Oblivion. <laughs> and uh, yeah. But I just... I followed this really, really closely for a long time because uh, Phantasm remains my favorite horror movie. Um, I understand that there's probably films out there that are better crafted and, you know, are more artistic or have more merit, but I don't care. (laughs) You don't get more artistic in the Phantasm series because it doesn't give a fuck where it goes. Yeah, that is true. That is true. But for for me, you know, this this film series came uh, came into my life around a, a tough time. Uh, I'd say I really started getting into horror movies when I was a kid, but I started really paying attention to Phantasm because it was right around ninety three to ninety four. I was about twelve, thirteen years old, and uh, in ninety four, my grandfather passed away, and that was a very big, significant loss for me. And uh, you know, just the themes of, you know, deaths and the funeral homes. And this was all stuff that I was dealing with in real life. And I'm not sure if that's why this film is so, like, uh, important to me. But, I mean, it was just one of those things, I think, where it just came along at the right time. And I saw it at the right time. And what was going on in my life and what was I was seeing on screen was just, like, so, you know, I had a brother and then I had a loss of a loved one. And it was a big, significant thing. And it was just like, wow, I can really relate to this. And so that's why this movie is my favorite movie. I think it maybe just came around around at the right time. But for whatever reason, I love it. And um, I love all the films, um, some more than others. But, um, yeah. Yeah, Back during uh, the script days online, which is when you would have this when you had the big scenes selling and trading uh, scripts, Phantasm's End was a big thing. And the way it was set up is it's set after third, but the tall man is pretty much taking over the middle part of America. There was the West Coast and the East Coast. And the tall man still had a mic as prisoner from the end of the third right. one. Right, and I remember and was, there was one. What? There was at there was at least one treatment of Phantasm's End that I had read that had Bruce Campbell in it, and he was supposed to be like the leader of some kind of like Delta. Yeah, Force he was a uh, commando group. He was like, yeah, right. they were going to send him in to basically drop a super neutron bomb and blow up the whole middle of America where the tall man and the tall man it was going to use the yellow blood is like these infected which you see a little bit in Ravenger we'll talk about how much of a Frankenstein film that is but there was these people with you get infected with that yellow goo, whatever, and then your head explodes, and your head becomes shrapnel, and if you get hit by either a skull piece or any of the blood, you would get infected too. 
Mm-hmm. Yep, I remember. I remember reading reading the script and being very very excited, and then things would fall apart, or they'd say, you know, we don't have the budget for it. Yeah, um, that was basically the it. They didn't want yeah. to spend that much money off of a what they consider now a DTV franchise. Right. So he made a placeholder film, which he filmed about maybe 45 minutes of new material. But he also used about 20 or so minutes of unused material from the first film, and that's Phantasm for Oblivion. Yep, yep. And I just remember... My first time I saw Oblivion, I my the first thing I said was at the end of the movie, why didn't anything happen? <laughs> I, just, I was really bummed out because of this. It was just very, very, it was very story heavy and there was very little in the way of action. But as I recall, it, it remains the movie that I've seen the least of the four, uh, the four ones that before Ravager came out. Um, and yeah, I just, I, not, not, I wasn't a huge Oblivion fan, but I've, I've learned, I've warmed up to it more so in the, in the last several years. Yeah. It was originally supposed to be a set up prequel placeholder for, Phantasm's End, which he tried to get made for the longest time. And you're right, not much action happens. Basically, the whole movie is uh, uh, Mike learns that he's psychic and he can control the balls, too, and that the balls are basically our souls. And Reggie's wandering around confused as hell through most of the film anyway. Right. Which is interesting because it ends up dovetailing fairly well with Ravager. But at the time, time we didn't know that there was going to be a Ravager. So Oblivion kind of wanders around in the desert. Yeah, it leaves (laughs) you hanging. Except for that weird stuff at the very end after it goes black, which is very important because that was the car crash referred right. to in the third sec, the third. Because after the end bit, it fades to black, and all of a sudden, boom, crash. And then you hear another car drive up, and there's Reggie going, oh, my God, oh, my God. I'll go get help. I'll go get help. You, you just stay here. Stay alive. Yep. In fact, you know, in the next few days, I'm going to try and rewatch Oblivion because I haven't seen it in probably about five years. It's, uh, like I said, it remains the one that I've seen, I've seen the least of, of the, the four films that I do have. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, I, 
if it would have been a placeholder film for Phantasm's End, that would have been fantastic. But, but as we know, we ended up getting Ravager instead, which I know a lot of people liked it. Um, I, I I like parts of it. Well, just think, how many years was it between Floor and Ravager? Well, let's see. I think Oblivion came out when I was still in high school. So it had to be like, what, 97, 98? I mean, and I know 90, 94, 95, I think, was was part three. So, I mean, yeah. So what was it? And Ravager came out when? Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. It was almost, actually, I think it was almost 20 years. Because. Yeah. I think I don't think uh, yeah. Coscarelli did that much until he got the Masters of Horror gig. And then he did and then he optioned two stories from Joe Lansdale, which was instant on off a mountain road and uh Bubba Hotep. Right. And Bubba Hotep he did on his own. Him and Bruce Campbell and uh, Joe basically raised the money themselves and did it for nothing. And that movie was amazing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, Bubba Hotak is great. That's a great film. And, you know, I, it makes me weep because we'll never see, what is it, Bubba, Bubba Nasferatu? Yeah. Well, that it was is out as is a, as a uh, Joe R. Lansdale did write the follow-up story, and the comic right. is out, and it's called uh, uh, Bubba and the Cosmic Bloodsuckers. Okay, okay. But, yeah, they yeah. had two ideas which they were going to do after Bubba Hotep as a follow-up, and... Bubba Nosferatu was the gag line. It's from the actual end of the short story. That was the gag line. The two they had to think was going to be Bubba Nosferatu, of course, and Bubba Sasquatch, which was (laughs) he survived the end of Bubba Hotep, and then he goes to another nursing home and ends up having to deal with Bigfoot. (laughs) That would have been awesome. Yeah. That would have been I would have paid serious money to see that one. <laughs> but, of course, you know this is becoming like a big thing. Don Coscarelli gets screwed. Yeah, yeah, he seems like, although I wonder how much of it is just him not wanting to compromise or bend, you know, which is admirable. I I find yeah. that admirable. Well, the thing is, is that Bruce Campbell dropped out of Bubba Nosferatu saying that the script, that he would only talk to Don if they ever finished the script. And when Joe R. Lansdale, one of the nicest guys you ever meet, says something bad about your attitude, then you are definitely an asshole. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, this was back I mean, when Bruce Campbell start changed from being the the wise cracking guy we all love at the conventions into just being 
a jerk and a dick. Yeah. Yeah. He, I remember the first time I met Bruce, I met him at, uh, I met him at a Fangoria convention in, uh, in 2004. So this would have been out in California. So that's 15 years ago now. And he was great. Great. Sat there, chatted. Uh, they had a and a and he was just, sarcastic, wise-ass self, and fans loved him, and they couldn't get enough of him, and he was was great. Uh, Flash forward probably, I don't know, 10 years, and he was doing some other signing at the Redford Theater, and uh, which is a theater here in southeastern Michigan, and he's, he's from here. You know, he's from this area, and so fans lined up down the street to meet him, and it was just like like cattle, man. You know, it was like I felt it, there wasn't very personable. Uh, he was kind of short tempered. He's he definitely changed. He changed a lot. Something something must have happened where he I don't know started treating the fans with disdain. He got burnt out and he didn't quit. He didn't take the time off like a lot of them uh, did. Yeah, and that probably would have been a good idea. Well, do you remember Burn noticed the show that he was uh, co-star on? They brought in uh, another guy during the last two seasons. Oh, yeah. That was because Bruce was so much of an asshole on the set that they had that other guy there in case they had to fire him immediately for being fucking asshole. That's crazy. Man, some some things just aren't worth dealing with, you know? Like, yeah. That kind of... Like that nowadays, kind of I haven't even, met him, but I wouldn't even try to meet Bruce nowadays with all the stories I hear. Same with Robert yeah. England, too. Oh, really? Yeah. But yeah, Don took the the Don and Paul Giamatti took all the money that they had raised for Bubba Nosferatu once that fell under. And went and got the rights to a book. This book is a bizarre creature it's like a stoner bro culture bizarre masterpiece called John Dies at the End I remember seeing this movie and the credits roll and I I looked at my wife and I said what the hell did I just watch and she's she shrugged at me, and I said, that was awesome. <laughs> and it, we didn't really have anything to say. It was just, like, such a strange and bizarre film, but I loved it. I loved it. It was great. It was total total Castorelli, you know? Just like, uh, just like you know, anything else, he, everything else that he did. Only he could have yeah. made Bubba Hotep, and he could have done John Dies at the end. 
And honestly, they were expecting on the set that this would be the last time that he would get to work with Angus. So he gave them that role and let uh, Angus go over the top. But it is one of the funniest bits in the whole movie. Yeah, Angus is great You're fucked. We're all fucked. We're all going to fucking die. (laughs) It's the only time you ever hear him curse on the screen. I know. He's like, uh, the funny thing about Angus is that he was like, he was a proper gentleman. You know, he was like very articulate and refined. And uh, he was like very well-spoken. And so to hear him talk like that was like (laughs) was out of character for him, you know. Yeah, and about that time, another thing came out that was pretty decently big. It was Mortal Kombat Legacy, and what that brings in is that started the YouTube show where. They would get known properties and stuff, and they would start making their own, you know, budgeted shows on it, and then sell them the DVD. So Don pretty much knew that he they didn't have much time left with Angus and. Uh, could do this real quick, shoot it cheap, and then put it out for five episodes, and then five or so episodes, and then boom, tie them together as a film. And around this time, there was this guy going around with his own fan script, which basically he rewrote from uh, Phantasm's End, only writing it for a no-budget thing. You remember this era right. where we're like, we're getting Phantasm and Syriad. Oh, this fan stuff looks good. And he got basically yeah. almost everyone together and shot this ugly-looking <laughs> trailer in his basement. Yeah. And for some reason, Don liked it, so... He gave him the reins of the net show, and they had all five episodes done. But no, you could have the greatest project ever to sell if no one's buying. Yep, that's true. That is true, very true. And so they (laughs) took this patchwork series of five uh, episodes, and Don let got the kid, and the kid filmed some more stuff, and it became long enough became movie there, and they were able to sell that, and that's how we got the last one, which is Phantasm Ravager. Yes, which I remember when I heard the title. And I said, that is a badass title. And I said, I hope it lives up to, <laughs> I hope it lives up to how awesome it sounds. And I just yeah. remember seeing it. I, I 
when it came out on demand, I I bought it right away and watched it because I was I said this is it. This is the final this is the final Phantasm film. For better or worse, this is what we have. So here we go. Yeah. And and I watched it the day it came out and mixed reactions. Um all the way up until like you said, the final few minutes of the film, which was uh, makes makes up for the rest of it. Yeah. And did you know any of that history which I just said before you watched the uh, Ravager? Uh I knew little bits and pieces of it. Yeah, I did know that they were like a, there was like a web series. And you can tell because it has some pretty damned insane changes of tone and plot. Like the right. first spot, 50 minutes of the movie is uh, Reggie, some guy steals Reggie's car. He catches up. He beats the crap out of him and gets his car back. He ends up on the ranch. He stays on the ranch for maybe a little while. Uh, falls in love with the girl, has sex with her, and then all of a sudden the midgets and the balls show up. Why? No reason. They just fucking show up because it's a Phantasm movie. <laughs> right. And then we show Reggie in a hospital bed as an old, old man, and basically the tall man is in the bed next to him because by the time they feel that, Angus was in such bad shape. That's pretty much all he could do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a, why that's most of uh, Angus's role in the movie is either ADR or CGI. Yeah, that's that's real. That's real. That's real unfortunate because. You know, you wish they would have gotten something green-lighted a long time before that, you know, so we could have gotten a, another tour de force performance from Angus that we were accustomed to with the other movies. Um, you know, unfortunately, that wasn't that wasn't the case. And I think, I think Ravager suffered for it. It suffered because I think the budget for it was under a million. That's all he'd oh, ever sure. say. Oh, we spent under yeah. a million on it. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> and they try yeah. and him and a few studios tried to do a big budget remake of it during the remake mania when you seen the Friday the 13th reboot, the Nightmare on Elm Street reboot. I remember that idea being floated. But they wanted... Yeah. I've actually actually heard that again recently, that they're planning on a, a Phantasm reboot. And I just... Like I said before, the closer to the beginning of the show, I just don't feel like you could make Phantasm and it wouldn't have the same impact that it had in 1979. 
you know, this is, we're 40 years, we're 40 years removed, you know, like that, that's a perfect drive-in movie, but we don't have drive-ins anymore. I mean, we have, there's, I think there's in the state of Michigan, I think there's eight drive-in theaters across the whole state. There used to be, I think, I want to say there used to be about 150. So, you know, times change and, uh, I don't know, man. <laughs> I just don't feel like you'll be able to capture the essence of what, what made Phantasm so good now. In modern times, is different. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's doing decent in the theaters. I mean, the, the new 4K remaster has really been a staple of the revival circuit now for a couple of few years. Well, that gives me hope for the future. Yeah, J.J. Abrams was the one who basically spent all, put his money into it to get it done on that, four, get the 4K remaster of it done. Yeah, yeah I remember hearing that J.J. Abrams was involved with it. And God, God bless that man. And watching it in the full theater with people who were there to watch Phantasm, it don't get better than that. No, that was. I we also um, I went and saw it. Uh, actually, I went and saw it with my wife, who she she casually likes horror movies. She's not as into them as I am. But we went and saw uh, Phantasm Remastered, and when it was over, she she like, man, she's like, that's a really good movie. I said, I know, I'm telling you, <laughs> I told you it's a good movie. Um, but she's like, I just never, she's like, it, it just looks so much more polished. I said, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's what I don't like about all those fans that came in there. It was like, yeah, I loved it. Back then, you would go to a movie theater, and you would see the film, and it would be all scratched up, and the sound would be crap, and that's how we've seen it. And those of us who were actually there were like, no. You didn't. No one made a film to look like crap on purpose. <laughs> right. Yes, I want to make a film that looks bad on purpose so that no one would freaking invest their money into my other movies. <laughs> right. But yeah, yeah, Phantasm is definitely one that basically falls in the rules of uh, diminishing returns, but when it's gold, it is gold. Like the second one, Uh, Reggie stepping up and becoming the main hero. Yeah. You know, they, they took a lot of chances with the series and especially now with uh, the closer to the end, like I feel like a lot of people would say that the, the series got weaker as it went along and they would say that Oblivion and Ravager are probably the two weakest films, which I would have a hard time disagreeing with people. I've Phantasm, the, the original 
I think is, is my favorite by far. Um, I would probably rank two next just because of the updated effects. It doesn't really add a whole lot to the story. But part three, I would say one, I'd say I like them in order, uh, the films, like from one, one, two, three, four, five. So that's, that's how I would rank them. Yeah, me, of course, the first one's the best. And then yeah, I would probably okay. put the third because it truly is the direct sequel to uh, one. Yeah, and that's true. And I would put two because two is two eighties for its old good. Even three, <laughs> four, and yeah. uh, let's see, Lord of the Dead, Oblivion, and Ravager still have that bizarre seventiesness to them more than the second one did. Yeah. Second one is just pure eighties. That's probably why I like it. <laughs> yeah. And Joe Bob said this is a joke, but I take it as honestly, if you really look at it, the curse of the Cuda. The reason that the films got worse was because he destroyed the Hemikuda in the second film. That broke a lot of our fans' hearts. Yeah, yeah that, that, that yeah. was tough. Morton and Reggie's death and Ravager and all that. They're like, you know what they did? They said, you want what? They blew the car up. No, God, no. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that, that one's tough to watch. You know, I grew up, um, obviously, southeastern Michigan, you know, outside of Detroit. So, you know, the big three are huge here. And so cars are really important. And Mopar, you know, Dodge, the old Dodge cars, the Barracuda, the Challenger, the Charger, those yeah. are um, those muscle cars, you know, they're a big deal. And they go for really, really big money if they're in good condition now. And watching them destroy that car was the tough, man. <laughs> that was tough. It wasn't a car. No, no, I know. I know. But still, it was, you know, the, the idea that they would – destroy a car. It was like, oh, no. It was kind of like when, when Carpenter trashed all the Belvedere, Plymouth Belvedere's for making Christine. <laughs> it's like, oh, crap. Oh, <laughs> no, don't worry. Most of them were rust buckets that they were lucky to get the paint to stick to. <laughs> yeah, well, good. But that is the best thing about the Phantasm Two commentary. Don Iowa Blue says, I wish I hadn't destroyed that original car. And Reggie said, you didn't. What do you mean? Me and a crew member stole it the night before because we wasn't going to let you destroy that beautiful thing. <laughs> God and you're like, you son of a bitch. Classic. <laughs> and another weird thing is that during the late 80s, Another crew member had taken the hearse from Phantasm 2 and snuck it off the set. Don was yeah. a really observant guy, wasn't he? <laughs> right. And the guy's 
sold that car out of the back of a Fangoria magazine. No kidding. Ah. Yeah. And someone else bought it, and it it was on car shows. I still see it on a few car shows, but it's pretty much retired. But, yeah, they'd take it to car shows. That's pretty cool. Yeah, three was good. Four for what? Four and five for what they are? They're better than they have any right to be. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, four is four is essentially a bunch of cutscenes from one, from the or from the era are surrounding one, and then yeah, with a little bit of extra filler in it. I mean, the, all the movies are short. I think they're all within maybe three minutes of each other when they're all like an hour and a half long. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean. I think the longest one is uh, three, and that one's like one hour and 40. Uh, Let's see. Yeah, you, you may be right. I think you're right. The shortest is Oblivion. That one's one hour and 15 minutes. I mean, yeah. uh, Ravager. Yeah. Yeah. But usually they all are around 90 to 99 minutes. Right. Right. Yep. So. so not. You know, not not a not a bad way to spend a a day if you want to go through the movies again and revisit them. And uh, in fact, I may end up going back through and watching uh, definitely Oblivion over again just because I haven't seen it in probably like I said probably about five five to six years. It's probably been it's been about that yeah. long. And if you have the Shutter Channel, watch Joe Bob's Christmas Marathon from last year. Because he basically watched all of the films but two. Because Universal still is a son of a bitch to get the rights from. That's crazy. You think like with all the modern like technology and stuff that people would... They, you know, it's one installment of a popular horror franchise. It's like, you'd think they would just say, you know what, yeah, okay. <laughs> We're the, we'll yeah. let you do whatever you want with it. They made it in 88. I mean, it's, it's been 30 years. Come on. And the reason it's funny is that because they couldn't get the rights to two, Joe Bob had to really try to explain why. And then he goes by, the goes for a whole rant, cursing out uh, Don Coscarelli for about 15 minutes about how you don't kill, you don't destroy a real Hemikuda on the set. <laughs> right. <laughs> he said, there's no way in hell on my show I want to show a movie where a son of a bitch destroys a Hemikuda on the screen. You get a fake one. You get one made out of popsicle sticks. I don't care. You don't destroy. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you don't want to do that. <laughs> That's like it's hard for me to watch a, a movie like uh, like Vanishing Point, you know, where they have a nice like seventy Charger RT or Challenger 
RT and they it, they blow it to piss at the end. It's like, oh man, come on. Yeah, but they found an old Junker Challenger, and they used yeah. that for the last scene. Yeah. Or, like, uh, another one that comes to mind is Dirty Mary Crazy Larry with the the Charger. Like, oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> or Cobra. Yeah. Yep. Stallone said that he's caught more shit for that car and Cobra than almost anything else he's done on film. I'm sure. People are passionate about their rides, man. And I can remember a few uh, car shows back when they were big that would have Hemikudas built up as to look like the one from the first movie and call them Phantasm Kudas. Yep. I mean it's it's a very uh, it's a very iconic car. Um, outside of you, know, you think about popular cars and horror movies, you think of but for me, you know, Christine. So you get the yeah. the Plymouth You think of I think of the Phantasm Cuda. Um the car <laughs> from uh the, the James uh, the James Brolin, is he in that? Yeah. Yeah. Um the the car and then what else? I mean Ecto one maybe if you want to call it Ghostbusters a horror movie. Yeah. But you think of you think of those kind of iconic iconic cars. Yeah, the car. I love that one. Yep. The other what? thing is, um, and my my wife had me had a, a made it made for me. It was a, a hat that said "Boogie Down," like the one that Reggie has in in Phantasm Two, um, <laughs> and. When I met him the first time, I asked him about it. I said, hey, I said, what's the deal with that Boogie Down hat? And he goes, oh, man, he's like, that's a great story. I <laughs> I got that at a strip club in Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, that's, that's awesome. I said, you know where it is now? And he says, I have no idea. <laughs> and if you're going to buy the Phantasm movies, get the, D, get the cheap Blu-ray set that's out now. Because it includes the Shout Factory just two, which honestly is great. Uh, three, four, and five and Ravager, but honestly, I would take the remastered disc out of the set and put it in its own nice little corner, and replace it with the MGM DVD. Yeah, the MGM DVD has a lot of cool extras on it. That's not in the remastered, like, let's see, about 20 minutes of deleted scenes. A lot of uh, behind-the-scenes stuff where it's basically uh, Reggie and Don talking and Reggie giving them shit for not having him on the commentary. (laughs) It has the first, it has the full version of Setting Here at Midnight. Yep. 
It has the DJ Zorro version of the Phantasm theme, which is on YouTube, both of them. But the DJ Zorro theme is just wow. <laughs> yeah, that, it's like a disco, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's one thing, uh, being a Phantasm fan, and I've gone out of my way to collect a lot of things from this film. And that's one thing that's eluded me. That and then the original soundtrack. Now, Mondo put out a 180-gram um, vinyl of the, the Phantasm soundtrack, which I have. But I really want the original. I would really like a, the, an original vinyl of the soundtrack. The and, Zorro and, one with the blood splatter on it, which is the only one yeah. I know exists. It that is one of the holy grails and most expensive phantasm collectibles out there. Yep, yep. I I know that's that's a tough one to find. It's like uh, when they had the original premiere in Southern California too. They handed out the uh, the fake fingers in the boxes, and it was like the rubber fingers. Yeah. Um. That's, that's another thing that's really, really tough to find. And th- those are the two items that if I could track down, that I would gladly pay some big money for it to have it. Because this is my favorite movie. And, you know, I just, I just for completion's sake. Yeah. And the poster for The Never Dead, which for yeah. some reason is what they... I got to feel sorry for her. That's another reason that Phantasm 2 kind of flopped. When it was released over in Australia, the first one was called The Never Dead. Right. But the second one on kept the Phantasm name. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> yeah. Weird. But yeah, you can get the box set pretty cheap, even though they're putting out a new one later this year with a 4K Blu-ray in it. Well, looks like I'll have to get a 4K TV. <laughs> yeah. But isn't it funny? Uh, I mean, a lot of these beloved franchises from the 70s and stuff are pretty much forgotten nowadays or, and that, or that but for a movie that only has one technically one really great 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 one which is the first one it has as much love as films like uh, Hellraiser Elm Street and those films franchises had a lot more movies than Phantasm. Yeah, but also, you know, I mean, you have, like, you have a a quality, a continuum of quality across the Phantasm series, but I think that's that's also, that expands to every horror franchise. Like, beyond the first two Hellraisers, I don't know if any of them are very good. (laughs) I mean, it's been a long time since I've seen any of those movies. I know the original Nightmare on Elm Street is great, and maybe Part 3 is really good, but then... Yeah, 1, 2, 3, New Nightmare. Those are the great ones. The ones that I didn't mention, 
right? Like the dream master, the, the dream child, uh, Freddy's yeah. dead. You know, like those. I mean, they they they're like the really oblivious. The theater with the real 3D on it. It's fun ride. Otherwise, right. yeah. But look at like I mean, look at Friday the Thirteenth. That's another one uh, where I feel that yeah, there's a ton of sequels, but I feel like they have more consistency than the Nightmare series. Um, I feel like Friday the Thirteenth is my cheeseburger series. Yeah. <laughs> so for me, in that series, just real real quick, you know, the Friday the Thirteenth. I would say my favorites are. Four, six, and two in that order, and then then there's the rest. You know, everybody likes to crap on part. Everybody likes to crap on part five, but I didn't think it was that bad. Oh, I love I mean, five. It's the sleaziest of the films. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then you know, but the only one that I really that I really will go out of my way not to watch is. Jason Goes to Hell, and uh, I don't know. Jason Takes Manhattan isn't very great either. But those two, I think those are the, those are the low points. Like, I love Freddy vs. Jason. I went and saw that in the theater with my brother, and the crowd just had such a great time with that movie. Yeah. The Freddy vs. Jason was great. That's why, that's the main reason I feel sorry for Kane Hodder. Every Friday the 13th movie he did, pretty much the shitty ones. <laughs> yeah, he took over when? Part part six, right? Or did he take over part, part seven? Part seven. Jason versus Carrie. Uh, Jason <laughs> on a boat that goes to uh, Canada. Uh, Jason goes to hell. Jason in outer space, which is yeah. more fun than it deserves. Right. No, Jason X. I remember seeing that one in the theater too, and the crowd had a great time with that. Even though it wasn't a fantastic film, like it had some pretty pretty cool moments in it, like the the liquid nitrogen where he dips the girl's head in liquid nitrogen and shatters it on the yeah. desktop. It needed I mean, Uber Jason in the movie quicker. Damn it. Yeah. Yeah. And the laser machete. They needed that. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yep. But yeah, a lot of the fr- the worst franchise I think for quality dip will be Hellraiser, which is the first one's great, the second one's good, the third one. Third it's divisive. I like it. Most of the fans don't. And yeah. then after that, it's. Shit, 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 shit. <laughs> yeah, it goes downhill rapidly. But Phantasm, even the think... worst of Phantasm has got something good to watch in it. Yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree. And, I mean, if you're into the mythology, if you're into the mythos, you know, and the, the story surrounding the tall man and his whole situation... And then, like, with uh, the Jebediah Morningside parallel kind of thing, um, 
there's something in every film, you know, there's something to like it about, about every movie. If you're really, really into the mythology and, and you enjoy that. And I, I do. And so, you know, I can see where somebody would watch oblivion and be like, what the hell are we watching? But for me, it's, there's a lot more meaning to it because I'm invested from the other, the other films. And it's one of the few horror franchises that has continuing good guys rather than bad guys. Right. Exactly. Well, I hope you have a, had a good birthday weekend. Thank you for being on. This was fun. Yeah, I agree. Thanks for having me, Steve. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, it's, it's great to... Yeah, it's uh, it's great to uh, it's great to kind of go back over the films and talk about why I like them and why they're special to me and and you know some of the ups and downs <laughs> over the the course of five films and you know what we wish we would have seen um, and you know unfortunately you know Angus is no longer with us uh, we we will never have another true Phantasm film but oh, yeah. uh, maybe I don't know maybe maybe we'll see a reboot. And in the future, and I, I hope not. But you know what? I mean, if somebody takes it and wants to run with it, and God gives them His blessing, then you know, so be it. If they do a reboot, I hope it's more like The Hills Have Eyes and Child's Play, and less like Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you there. And with that. Well, i got to do a little promotion, then we're going to go. This, tomorrow night, because I missed Saturday, I'm going to be doing Gary Sherman's Vice Squad, one of the best, sleaziest action films that come out of the early 80s with the best freaking pimp, movie, evil movie pimp of all time, Wings Hauser is Ramrod. If you don't believe me, look at the advertising and the poster for Vice Squad. Every bit of it is, Jesus, isn't Wings Hauser an evil son of a bitch? And later this week, to get ready for Friday, me and Carl are going to be talking Tarantino. Because with uh, Bruce Lee versus, oh, shit, almost ruined it. I mean, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, coming out this weekend, I've got to go over his films because I'm a big fan of his. And next Sunday, who knows? I, I think I know what I want to be doing, but I have to really set it in stone. So good night, everybody. Thank you for being on, Chris. Thank you very much for having me, Steve. It was uh, a lot of fun. And it, and I'm closing this with the most weirdly obscure uh, bit of Phantasm trivia. Have you ever seen The Boxer's Omen? Uh-uh. Well, in that movie, for certain scenes, like it's a scene where a wizard's uh, – Conducting a spell on the audio, they use the last five seconds of Phantasm's audio. Really? Huh. Yeah, boy. Ah! Crash! <laughs> <laughs>
cool. And then at the end of the movie, they have like this dragon woman walking towards the hero to fight him, and the noise for her robot legs are the sounds from the silver balls played backwards. Huh. Wow. Yeah. And with that, good night. Bye.